Welcome to the 213th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. The Land Stewardship Project has long had a strategy of fighting the worst and promoting the best. For example, it's not enough to just help rural residents prevent factory farms from invading their communities. We also have to work to support and develop agricultural systems that are economically viable and environmentally sound and don't rely on exploiting the land and people. The list of how this fighting the worst, promoting the best strategy works is long, and LSP can point to many victories on both sides of the page. But it's become clear that no matter how hard our members and staff work, there are extremely powerful interests out there working in the opposite direction. By pressuring lawmakers and other decision makers to push through government policies that promote factory farming, support monocultural cropping, monopolize markets, undermine environmental controls, gut worker rights, and make affordable health care virtually unattainable, these powerful interests are threatening to undermine even the most successful initiatives groups like LSP help promote and develop. That's why the Land Stewardship Project is involved with an initiative called Our Minnesota Future. The guiding principle of our Minnesota future is that regular people and organizations representing the interests of these people need a stronger voice in our government. We need elected leaders who commit to govern alongside us and work with us in deep partnership to create the changes we envision for people in the land. Besides LSP, 21 people's organizations are part of this coalition, including faith groups, environmental groups, organizations that work in communities of color and immigrant communities, as well as labor unions and progressive organizations. This initiative is organizing people all across Minnesota. Together, we seek to build people-centered governing power to address the critical issues our people and communities face. With this podcast, we begin a periodic series focusing on the Our Minnesota Future initiative. In future podcasts, we'll feature the voices of rural Minnesotans talking about what kind of future they'd like to see for their state. But first, it's time for a little background and context. I recently talked to LSP Executive Director Mark Schultz about why, now more than ever, we need an initiative like our Minnesota Future. He also described the critical role LSP plays in this collaboration. You know, Brian, how effective Land Stewardship Project members and staff are as we as we build our programs, as helping beginning farmers get a good start, you know, or working with local food systems, um, working with farmers who want to build soil or move into rotational grazing defending local control, advancing conservation measures in Congress. You know, we're good at what we do. But for everything that we take on, whether that's uh, stopping frac sand mining in Winona County or running another farm beginnings class, there are eight or nine other things going on that are running against us. And, And we're either not able to put much effort into it or... Or they go uncontested. Every time major corporations get another tax break for doing the wrong thing, we're not able to do much about that. Every, in the farm bill, we have to pick a couple of spots to fight. And even then, that doesn't mean we win. When, when there's a larger change needed, when we look at things that really affect our members too, like, like the health care system, like hospitals closing in rural Minnesota, and people who are spending $24,000, $25,000 a couple for paying, paying their health care, and they get and yet there's a $12,000 deductible, that they're going to pay $35,000? They could pay $35,000 a year and not get one penny of health insurance? 
these things, they're, they're huge on the people of the state in this region. And they're beyond LSP's ability to take on a loan. Well, it turns out that that experience is similar for other organizations, people's organizations, we like to call them. people, you know, membership organizations where people belong to them. These might be a, it might be the Minnesota Nurses Association, so it's a union of nurses. Or it might be Isaiah, which are people of faith coming together for, for justice. Or it might be Tool, which organizes low-wage low workers for better conditions and, and policies that affect them. So we decided we needed to bring that together, that as people in our organizations, we needed to come together and say, we need a different way of forward in this state. So we've defined that as the idea to actually build people-centered government and to build the power of people to actually govern the state. And what we mean by that is when a bill comes up in the state legislature, instead of whatever corporations are concerned about that saying, no, you're not going to hear that bill, you're going to hear this one instead, and that's what happens. It's actually these people's organizations saying, no, you're not going to hear that bill, which will end environmental review that protects local communities from frac sand mines and factory farms, for instance. Instead, you'll hear this thing that supports beginning farmers and establishing rotational grazing operations. So that's the power to govern, to actually determine what, what moves at the legislature gets implemented and gets implemented well. And our Minnesota future is about the people having the power to govern. But what, why, what's LSP's role in this? Or what, why is it it's important that a group like the Land Stewardship Project who works for you know, family farms, sustainable agriculture, local control, working very much on a, in a rural base? But what, what role do we have uh, in, in a group like this that's pretty big and pretty diverse? We actually play a critical role. Land Stewardship Project is primarily farm and rural, small town. That's where our mem- most of our members from. Of course, we have a lot of members in the, in the Twin Cities, too. But uh, almost two-thirds of our members are in rural areas on farms or in small, small towns and small cities. Well, their experience, for instance, let's talk about health care again. Their experience with health care in some ways is similar to with people in the city, but it's also different. Like, if the, when the hospital closes in Springfield, if they don't stop that, we just heard about this last week, they don't just have to go another mile or two to the hospital. It's a 45-minute drive. So when trying to work to attract doctors to the community, there's a different challenge for rural communities versus urban. So we need to, part of the critical role that LSP plays in our Minnesota future is bringing the, the challenges faced by rural and small-town Minnesotans to the fore. The actual lived experience, the concern with the things that keep people up at night because they're worried about it. It might be their farm finances. It might be their small business plans. It might be their health care. Also, to bring their aspirations, what they really want. They want to start a farm. They want to build their soil. They want to expand their markets. And bring that into the mix, because urban people don't know about that. And for us to also, like I said, bring the solutions. I mean, what do, you, what do we know about our members? We know they're very creative and very practical. So if you want to actually have 
innovative ideas that are pragmatic and can work, it's good to have a mix of rural people in that mix figuring that out. So then bringing that together with, you know, low-wage workers in the cities, with members of the Service Employees International Union, with church members in the suburbs working with Isaiah, those kinds of things, that's a powerful mix. The other thing is we think that rural people simply aren't asked enough. Nobody knocks on their door. Nobody says, what do you think? What They're marketed to, you know, farmers, farm magazines all the time. They're marketed, they're told, but they're not asked. And so that's also our job, is to bring those real-life experiences, those ideas for solutions, and those voices powerfully into the room. Without, without us, I'm not sure that this could work. You really point out a very important piece, which is rural people often aren't asked and frankly, there's a little bit of a narrative around there like, you know, your time has passed. You're not part of the future of society, basically. This must, uh, to me, this seems like a very important message to get across to our members and to rural people in general that, guess what, you, you, we consider you important enough to be part of this, of a group that's looking for solutions. Well, exactly. And that's, of course, why LSP also helps put this thing together. But, you, but you're right. One of the hallmarks of, L, of LSP members is innovation and actual pragmatic problem solving. So that's a good mix to have in. At the same time, you know, if, it, if they're a member of the Main Street Alliance, that's a small business group. If they're a member of the St. Paul Federation of Teachers, if they're a member of Minnesota 350 or Outfront Minnesota, these are also organizations who whose members, they're people's organizations, so these people bring their perspectives, experiences, their real-life challenges, and the boldest solutions they can come with into the mix. And then we put, it's not just the staff of this organization, these groups that talk, but it's actually the member leaders, the people in the community faced actually day-to-day with the challenges we're talking about. Now we're talking about a unified Minnesota. Now we're talking about us together. And on what we can do together, that can be powerful. What would you say to kind of a, a land, there's no typical land stewardship project member, we know that, but to, to our land stewardship project members who maybe have been members for a long time and there's different reasons they joined, maybe they're interested in beginning farmer issues or soil health or, or local control, but what would you tell them about why this, this isn't just something, a uh, coalition that we belong to and we go to meetings periodically. We're very involved in this, very uh, much deep into getting this going and having it have real impact. What would you tell an LSP member why this is so important, why we're putting so much energy into it right now? We think that big change is needed. You know, when we look at how many farms are likely to be consolidated into fewer hands over the next six, eight, ten years? When we look at the challenges we still have with affordable, decent, just, right, useful, quality health care, when we see what's going on with climate, with our waters, and with the desiccation and dep- you know, the, the impoverishment of our soil and of our communities, we, we need bigger solutions. One of the things we know at Land Stewardship Project on the farming end is that what's killing us right now or holding us back is the markets, lack of markets. 
markets have grown in organics and in local food and in sustainable, et cetera. But it's harder and harder to see the growth. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, people still want to farm. Or people got started and they need to expand by 50% to make a living for their family. And what what are we going to do about the markets? Well, you know, there are solutions to that question. It doesn't all have to do with each person getting to be a better marketer. But what if the public institutions, what if the Hutchinson School District or the Minneapolis School District or the Worthington School District said, we're going to have 60% of the food that our kids eat are going to come from Minnesota farms? What if that was the true for daycare centers, for public institutions across the board, hospitals, and nursing centers? Now you're talking about market, and not just market. You're talking about food going to the people, good food going to the people who really need it, our children, our seniors, sick people. So that's not going to happen just because some people try to you know, form a co-op and market into it. It's going to be extremely important and helpful to have public investment so that schools say we don't have to take out our shrinking budgets on our kids, but actually we're going to invest in our kids with better food. And we can say to farmers, you know, if the Hutchinson School District wanted to serve carrots three times a week, well, we don't want one farm raising all those carrots. So what kind of state support could there be to actually build the storage and the distribution and the, so to help farmers come together and serve that market. You know, that's innovative. That's, that's drawing on our history of the state. How can we, the people, through our government, make a difference? You know, one of, one of the, a few years back, you may remember this, we had about a dozen Missouri hog farmers come up on a three, four-day trip th- mm-hmm. to sustainable hog farms in Minnesota, and we went up to Morris to the sustainable hog station there, too, and Rodney Skalbeck got to show off his award-winning uh, boars, and it was a great trip. At the end of it, we were down in New Ulm, and a couple of the Missouri farmers came up and said, well, you know, why didn't you show us any of the trashy places? You must have really mapped out to just go through all these good-looking towns and farms and avoid the one, you know, and I said, well, no, we didn't do that. And he said, well, everything looked, I mean, some places looked like they were starting to get a little run down, but everything looked relatively prosperous. Why is that? And I, I, I had to think about it, but I, I said two things. You know, one was, well, the basic thing is we took public resources. We had a progressive taxation system, so those that had more and had benefited more could pay more into it. But we took those resources and we applied it for the general welfare. So the farm-to-market roads, we, we, we often discount those. But they're good in Minnesota. They really cover the, the, the terrain. That was really important in our development as a state. And even more than that, education. You know, that's sort of a stereotype, but we invested in education for everybody to get a, that, that leg up. Well, what do we need to do now with public resources? What do we need to do now? Well, one of the things we need to do is support new farmers to, to, as an economic engine in rural communities and as a way of taking care of the land and the water. Um, and we need good food for people. We need food to be good for us again, not bad for us. And we should be starting with our kids, our seniors, and those that are sick. That's where public investment is needed, and that means major, major investment by the state, that means we cannot win that alone. And in case anybody's wondering, yes, I think this means we need to start looking at 
some taxes on the wealthy and on corporations that's going to make us a better state again. And do you know who among those who will benefit from that? It won't just be the sick and our kids and the elderly. It'll actually be the wealthy and the corporations too. That's what's made Minnesota a great state for everybody. This isn't one side against the other. It's building us all up together. In history, it, it's a little too simplistic, but there's the, the thing about a pendulum swinging. Well, some of the ways we've had of doing things have sort of run their course. We need some reinvestment in new ideas and new ways of doing it. Now, some of those could be old ideas. I mean, cooperatives are not a new idea. But, like, what do we need we the people to invest in now that's actually going to lift us up, that's going to create a com- an economy that is means shared prosperity, not extraction of wealth from communities into the fewer and fewer hands. And that means we're caring for the land, our water, this climate. We can do this. These solutions that we need, what we can't allow ourselves to fall into is the trap that it's red or it's blue, that it's DFL or Democrat or it's Republican, or that it's right or it's left. It's really not going to help us. You know, back in the 1920s and then into the 30s in Canada, in Saskatchewan and Manitoba, rural people there, farmers and other rural people, they had almost no health care. And what they, what they said was, we need health care. We need doctors out here. We need hospitals, clinics. We need that. So they started to establish a publicly run, publicly financed, publicly accountable system of health care that meant everybody got health care, could just walk in and get it. And it would be quality and it would be accessible. And Canada took that and they, in 1960, moved it into a nationwide national health plan, national health service. The leader in that work, who at a time was the governor of Manitoba, he was an organizer before that, he became the health minister of the federal government in Canada. When, when in 2001 they did a poll of the, the, the greatest Canadian of the 1900s, this guy won with like 80% of the vote because they had health care, mm-hmm. quality health care for everybody. It was not some kind of plot by the right or the left. It wasn't, you know, it was a pragmatic solution by rural people to say, we have a real problem here, we need to address it. And that's what we're looking for. Put the people in the middle of people-centered government, not a corporate-centered government like we have now. The biggest problem we have is corporate control of our economy and our, and our politics. Let's move beyond that, put people in the middle, and, and address the real issues in front of us. So, Mark, I know that racial justice is a real important part of the Our Minnesota Future initiative and that several organizations are uh, made up of people of color and represent people of color. And uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why that's important to LSP. There's a lot of general statements often made about, hey, we support racial justice, but this maybe we're trying to go beyond that a little bit. And again, like you said, try to come up with bold solutions and concrete action on various issues, including racial justice. Nearly everybody supports racial justice or equality, but like saying that hasn't made a difference. So Minnesota, despite having one of the highest quality of life, education, jobs, median income, all those things, health, when you, when you break that down by race, we have some of the worst 
racial disparities in health, in employment, in education, all, the, all those factors. So we don't have racial justice. Um, and that drags us all down. In the end, that drags us all down. We feel as an organization, you know, we, we didn't form in order to promote sustainable agriculture for white people or to develop healthy communities of white people. We didn't. It's, it doesn't, we don't have those words in it. It's about all of us. We're all here on God Goods Earth together. Now, Minnesota has changed and continues to change demographically. So now we're about 15% people of color. That's not just in the Twin Cities. That's all over the state. Those people, whether they're Latino, whether they're newer immigrants who've come here from East Africa or, or other places from Southeast Asia, or whether they were here before us, before white European settlers, they bring part of the solutions to a sustainable food and farming system. They bring new crops or old crops. They bring different ways of farming. They bring different ways of organizing food production and distribution and markets. They're part of the solution, a necessary, essential part of building a sustainable food and agriculture system in this region. And so we need to stand with people in their, you know, in their struggles because Otherwise, why would they work with us if we're not willing to do that? We need to build relationships across so that when younger people are here and they're called dreamers because they're allowed to be here because of the DREAM Act, but now that's going to be, you know, supposedly taken away from them. We need to say, no, that ain't right. It's not right. And it, does, it hurts us to do that. It doesn't help us. We need to do it together. And what we find... Brian, when we talk to Land Stewardship Project members about racial equity, about building to the future, people want to learn more, they want to meet more people, they want to get involved, they want to find good solutions together. I'm real positive that we're on the right track here, and we, we need to keep working with Upper Sioux community and Red Lake and White Earth. We need to keep working with the SETUL, the Center de Trabajadores Unidos en La Lucha, and Navigate Minnesota that works with Latino people who are working with the immigration system. And we need to work with Voices for Racial Justice and other organizations led by people of color. We have our own self-interest in this as Land Stewardship Project, and we need to combine that self-interest with those of other communities for a better state. For more on the Our Minnesota Future initiative, see landstewardshipproject.org and follow the links under the Organizing for Change tab. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members, who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 